to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Steve Vanderplug, a comedian in Denver. Steve grew up in Denver and got a start in the scene 11 years ago. He's seen it grow into one of the best comedy destinations in the country. When he started, he wanted to get five minutes at the Comedy Works, and now he's headlining there. He also runs Rotating Tap Comedy, a production company he's been building for nine years. We had a great time. He's got a good story about why maybe you shouldn't go to Alabama. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Follow Homebrewed Comedy on Facebook or go to homebrewcomedy.com to see my dates. Thanks again. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in Thanks so much for doing this, man. Appreciate it. Of course. You're in Denver. First of all, you like it? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I I grew up here too, so it's like it's easy to not have to leave my hometown, but like the right. comedy scene here is unreal. What do you like most about the scene? Dude, there's just so much stage time. Like we have in Denver proper, we have four clubs. There's paid paid showcases beyond that almost every night of the week. I get well, I guess technically six clubs, really. Dude, it's, it, there's just so much opportunity here compared to even like the big comedy cities, we have the availability to go do a set almost every single night of the week. I don't really do too many open mics these days, but there's open mics every night of the week too. Like it's a right. really good place to get good at comedy. Yeah. Is that like comparable to like New York city, LA, you know, you've, you've heard stories about that and how it's not great for new comedians, but like just if you're hungry, Denver's the place to be. Yeah, I mean, I would think I the thing is, is like right now, Austin's like a booming comedy scene, too. Right. And so everybody's going to Austin, but Austin has like its own brand of comedy and Denver doesn't have to have that kind of identity. And we still have just as much opportunity. We don't have to succumb to like the whole like kill Tony runs the world type idea here. There's so many different avenues you can go through in Denver to like get to a big levels and get good at comedy. What's your thought on Kill Tony? Because I've never, I don't really know if I talked about it on the podcast. And I have, I don't have a whole lot of knowledge about the process there. I just know that from my experience or knowledge, it's a glorified open mic where three or four established comedians heckle the person who's trying their best. Yeah, I believe, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's like a bucket spot. Like people sign up for the bucket. I don't know, man, it does produce... I know a few people that have like gotten pretty big off of it, but it also produces some like hacky bullshit too. That's just like, I don't know, man. It's like a lot of like crowd work and like Denver, Denver, we can do crowd work, but we don't, we focus on writing jokes first and foremost. Whereas like the people I know coming out of Austin that are just trying to get on Kill Tony or just trying to get social media following. Right. right? I've never been on Kill Tony. I don't know. But yeah, it's like a lot of people are like, oh, he's just a dick. Like Tony Hinchcliffe is just an asshole. Uh, and that's that seems to be the whole purpose of the show is just one mean guy brings a couple of friends and just makes fun of people that are new. Yeah, I that's where I t- see it. And I don't know, like I've hosted open mic for seven years and, you know, it's way too long to host an open mic, by the way. But yeah, it's I see so many new people trying their best and for the first time. And I assume that most of the people on Kill Tony have been doing it for at least a few months, a couple of years 
whatever, just varying. I don't know how many people go up for the first time and do it that way. I, I wouldn't have the balls. I don't know if I'd have the balls to do it now, let alone my first time. Like, hey, roast the shit out of me for, you know, my honest effort. But I couldn't imagine. I mean, I guess in the back of the room, you make fun of those people who suck at first. But to yeah, do it publicly, course. I don't know if I could do that. And I certainly don't know. I don't think I could withstand the abuse. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't think that I would. I mean, I would go on it, but I would hope that I don't have to wait for a bucket to call my name, right? Yeah. And then I'm not sure how long the sets are either, but I think you only get like three minutes. Oh, I thought it was and less than that. I thought it was a minute. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, whatever it is, it's not very long. Like, you don't get much opportunity to, like, dive into stuff. For a minute, it's like, wow, what do I do? Two one-liners? Yeah, really. Like, And if you're not a one-liner comedian, what the fuck's the point? Yeah, absolutely. But there's something to be said about, like, coming out of Austin, and I don't... I'm sure this doesn't happen to every Austin comic, but here in Denver, we trash talk that scene a lot because it's a lot of just people trying to get social media clips. Like we've had some Austin comics come through and they're doing seven minute sets and they're three minutes into their set. And then they're just like, they're literally like pointing out people in the audience and they're like, what do you do for work? Yeah. Oh, that's boring. What do you do for work? Oh, that's boring too. And then they find somebody that they can like, play with a little bit and then it's like oh you're just trying to get a clip like yeah whereas like here we're just trying to get good we just want to be as good as possible (laughs) yeah what is denver's identity because like from the outside and i talked to a few people from denver seems like it's very productive scene but like when you start comedy you're like oh doug benson you know people are just high obviously the the pot out there uh you know oh there's it's probably just weed jokes what is denver's identity i mean that's i don't really know there's a lot of different stuff like I know, like, we've had some really good people come out of Denver. You know, Josh Blues from Denver. Yep. This yeah. is, this is like, dated and nobody, like, now it's telling of, like, what what's what. But, like, Roseanne Barr started at Comedy Works here. I didn't know that. Yeah. She came up through Comedy Works, and now she's just, like, a racist little bitch. But, <laughs> uh, but she had a good show between them. Uh, I think that's the important part. Yeah. Yeah, Josh Blues from Denver, Sam Talents from Denver. I don't know if you've heard of Derek Stroop. He's blowing up yep. right now. He's from Alabama, but he cut his chops here in Denver. I don't think we have like an identity of like a specific style of comedy. We just have a fucking shit ton of stage time. Yeah, I want I want to say it even has to do with the weed or anything. Like half of the comics here are sober. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's just but, an man, outsider's I mean, take. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, there's we really all we want like it was pretty ingrained when I started. Uh, I've been in Santa Blue over 11 years. When I started, it was like the higher ups were like, no, learn how to write a joke. Yeah. Write jokes. We need punchlines. Comedy is nothing without punchlines. And so the comics here are all like, yeah, like we write jokes. And like Sam Talent, amazing, dude. I've seen a lot of crowd work comics. There's nobody that can really touch him in terms of just being good at crowd work. But he also knows how to write punchlines. So it's like... Probably makes him a better it's less of, Broadway comedian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, I don't think we have an identity other than like, I, a lot of people get good here and then leave. I've decided that I'm going to hang out for a while, but I'm from here. But yeah, I mean, it, it's literally just like, dude, I mean, you can get you can get four or five sets here in a night in Denver. And it's a small city compared to New York where like that's where in Chicago, where like that's where people get that. Yeah. We have opportunities that are like vast compared to some of the major cities. Maybe you have a different experience because you started 11 years ago and you grew up in Denver, but 11 years ago, 
was it this big I also think like Denver and I've only been doing comedy for seven years. So like my knowledge is kind of limited, especially compared to yours. But has Denver exploded recently in the last few years or is that has it just been like steadily building for your 11 years? Uh, It's been steadily building with explosive points. Okay. Like when I started, doing, there were maybe like 50 to 60 people trying to do comedy in town and it was like a tight knit community. We all hung out with each other. We were all friends. And then as it started to grow and become more popular, it kind of became clickier and clickier. And now there's even like sub scenes within the greater Denver scene. Like there's a whole, a whole roast scene here now that like didn't exist before. And they don't, they don't really mess around too much with like, regular comedy as much anymore but like it's had a lot of explosions and i think like you know it's weird it's certain times of the year where like new year's hits and everybody's like well here my resolution is to start doing stand-up right and so we get an influx then we haven't had anything like what happened to austin when joe rogan moved there like austin exploded right but we've had like a i i'd say a pretty steadily incline steady incline but there are times where like I'll go three months without going to a mic or a show or something. And then I'll show up there three months later. And there's 20 people that I don't know. And I've no never shit. heard of that have been, yeah, I've been hanging out the whole time. And everybody's like, Oh yeah, that's chase. And I'm like, I don't, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> it's funny. Cause like in Binghamton at my mic, we had three people do their debut set. They'd never done it before. They were at my place. And that's probably, we probably get, I would say 20 a year, give it a try, maybe. And we see them once or twice and they're gone. But like, yeah, I, we had 15% of that was in one night. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a big night. And I might, I'll bet one of those three will actually do it again. Yeah. No, we get, I mean, dude, we get, of course, we have people that show up for a couple months and then quit. Yeah. But, you know, we, we do get a lot of new blood coming through and they stay because there are opportunities here. And I, you know, I, I don't know a lot of them very well, but it's cool because they are energized. There's a lot of like jaded veteran comedians, but seeing people like excited about comedy is really refreshing. Does that help you stay are- focused and motivated when you see some like new blood? You're like, oh, they're having fun with this. I forget sometimes you can have fun with this. Like, does it re-energize yeah. you? Oh. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm pretty energized no matter what, but it's like. I guess one of the things is like because there's so many like jaded comics, I'm just like, oh, God, the drama. Yeah. Denver comedy is known for drama for sure. And uh, I try and avoid it for the most part. I do get involved sometimes, but it is refreshing when it's like, oh, hey, we don't need to attack this show because they're not booking so and so when we have comics that are just happy to be here. Yeah. Like, I I love that mentality so much. We've had, I would say, four or five new people who are like are actually progressing and giving it their effort. And so I book shows in town and away, but like primarily in town, I can give these new people more stage time, like for actual shows. And when I do that, I'm like, Oh, cool. I can see the excitement in their eyes. And I remember, you know, that's why I book local shows because I can give them opportunities. So you book shows too, right? Uh, Yes and no. I have a company called Rotating Tap Comedy. Yeah. I built it. We do shows at breweries. We're up to about, we we average 10 shows a month. We rotate between about 20 breweries. Wow. But that's, yeah, it's so much that like I can't run all that by myself anymore. 
So I've handed off the majority of booking responsibilities to other comics. No kidding. I'm interested about that because I got questions for you. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I did it for a long time and it was just overwhelming to the point where it was like, listen, if I don't get some help, these 10 shows a month are going to disappear and nobody gets the stage time. So I just had to keep telling people. And and I also don't want to hire people that are like to run the shows. I don't want to hire people that are brand new. You can't. Yeah, I want some vetted people. So it was a whole process of getting other people on board to help me book shows. But now it's pretty much on cruise control now. So I run homebrew comedy up here and I do I forget how many rooms I have anymore. It's like somewhere between like 15 and 20. And a lot of those are monthly shows. And I've been approached and I host them. I produce them. I do all the work behind the scenes and I enjoy it. It keeps me busy and focused, but it's tiring. And I've been approached a couple of times about like franchising and like, oh, would you be willing to lend your name here? And, you know, I know there are people around the country who do that. I don't know if I could hand over the reins on that. What made you I mean, was it basically that just like I'm tired and I need a break? What told you, Okay, it's time for me to ask for help? Uh, Honestly, it was the here's the thing. I didn't get into stand up to produce. Right. I got into stand up to tell jokes and I found there was a point in my career where I was getting a lot more opportunities to tell jokes if I just did it myself. Yep. If I did all of the work myself, then I made sure I was getting stage time two or three nights a week. Right. So um, I do it. I've kind of outgrown that now. Like I work at the comedy works here in Denver, both of them a lot. And if given the opportunity to perform for a crowd of 30 people at a brewery, which don't get me wrong, can be a blast or a sold out club crowd at one of the best clubs in the country. I'm going to take that club shot. Yep. Right. Like, and so it, it was a matter of just kind of outgrowing that shell that I was like, I just can't be at the breweries all the time anymore. And the more and more I progress outside of the breweries, the less I'm at the breweries. Yeah. I I'm in a position now where it's like I look at festival submissions and I'm like, okay, well, when is this festival taking place? And like, oh, it'll take place May 1st to May 4th. I look at my calendar. I'm like, oh, well, that's a Wednesday to a Saturday. And I have monthly, I've got one weekly show and monthly shows. I'm like, well, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, those, those days are out. So I can't even submit to that festival because I feel like if I do that, I'm obviously, you know, you pay the submission fee and the the board, whatever for the festival. But also I lose out in the money for those four days from those shows. And I cost 12 comedians, let's say opportunity for stage time. And I'm hurting businesses theoretically who depend on those four days or one day for that month to cash in. So like, that's where I'm like, well, maybe it would make sense to find somebody who I trust to take the rain for a weekend. Absolutely. And with the, the other thing too, is like the way I see it is like, here's, here's the most difficult part that I experience in this is like, as much as I want to work harder and grow, you can't force other comics to do that. They don't necessarily want to take on those roles. And so at some point it's like, okay, well, like I have to look out for myself. And if looking out for myself means all of this disappears, are we sure that nobody wants to step up? Yeah. I think that likely somebody will be like, we can't lose these opportunities. I will do this thing that I don't really want to do for the greater good. Yeah. But at some point, yeah, you got to like, you got to get on the road and you got to travel and go to other cities. You can't just be stuck in your own scene because it's like, 
like even in Denver, we have so much stage time, but like I'm not building a name for myself outside of Denver. Mm. So no, that makes complete sense. And it's definitely a hurdle that I've got to overcome. And, you know, I, I think I'm convinced that it'll make me look selfish. Whereas like, I know that's okay, but I don't, I I don't want people to think I'm selfish and taking away their, it's weird. But here's the other thing though, too, is like if, if somebody, let's say, and it doesn't have to be any specific comic, but if one comic doesn't want to step up for the greater good of the entire community, right. guess what? That's pretty fucking selfish. Like, yeah. And like, like I said, I've been hosting that open mic for seven years and we've moved it like four locations, I think three or four locations. And I kept it running through zoom and the pandemic. And like, I'm convinced, like I had a conversation last night where every once in a while I get down, I'm like, all right, well. You know, I like hosting the open mic and some weeks are better than others. And then we have a new open mic spring up and at a new venue and they're getting, you know, 40 people to watch and mine's getting 10 and the comedians and like they're getting different comedians because, you know, people heard of this new one. And it's like, well, we got a weekly here every week. You don't come to that. So I get burned out every once in a while of people like, oh, yeah, you should go to that one. It's better. And I'm like, fuck off. Like, I was like, without this one. No one stepped up in seven years. Nobody said, hey, I want to host this. I want to help you out. Nobody did that. And I'm like, well, yeah. if I'm convinced, like, if I didn't host the open mic, if I didn't keep it going, nobody would have picked it up. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, well that's, so like, that's where I get frustrated. At some point, you got to realize that's not your responsibility. I'll be honest with you. The further and further I get into stand-up, the more selfish I become. <laughs> Which is probably good. Uh, yeah. The more I'm like, no, this is about me. I've paid my dues. I've put in the work. I've built stuff. I've given the community so much. And if they're not going to give it back, then I just don't care anymore. Right. Right. Because I'm trying to make a career out of this. It's not just like a thing that I do for fun. I want to make a living doing this. So if that means kind of like brushing aside some people that don't really give a shit, so be it. Even if I like them as people, it's like, I just got to, I can do this for me. All right. Well, here's another question for you. Now, on these shows, you know, I know you're not doing all the booking, but at the very start, it was you booking everything, right? Yeah. Okay. How often did you have somebody reach out to you and say, hey, can I get on this show? Pretty frequently, right? Yeah, constant. Okay. Yeah. Which uh, is like, that's just part of it. I get it. But did you ever have to tell somebody, no, you're not ready or no, and here's why? Uh, I mean, yeah, I wasn't as blunt about it as that. Yeah. But I would, you know, I would hit and I would hit and say stuff like, you know, maybe you're not the right fit for this crowd. Right. But I want to just be like, no, you're not ready. Cause I still get those to this day. Right. And I don't, I don't even really do the booking. It is kind of a blessing now that I can push it off onto somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm like, well, I don't really do that. So go, go make another comic, make your problem, be somebody else's problem. Right. Yep. It's not going to be mine. But yeah, I mean, like there's a way to do it, do it politely. And then there's are there are some people that like, I've been like, no, your behavior is inappropriate. I'm not going to let you do this. Yeah. I will. Here's something that I do. And this is like, I don't ever advertise this for a lot of reasons. But if a comic comes to watch one of my shows just to support it and watch, I don't care how new they are. I will give them five minutes. Yep. That night. It's just like, hey, you're supporting me. I want to give you opportunities. But the thing is, people don't really do that. And so I don't have to do that. But if I advertise it, then I get I get too many comics showing up. Yeah, that all think that they're going to get the stage time. It's also like expected of me, where it's like, no, I just do this as a nice thing. 
but I don't advertise it because it's also like, where do you want to put in your work, right? Yeah. We have so many open mics in Denver. A lot of a lot of nights you can go to three or four open mics in a night, but you're performing. Denver is so big now that the open mic sets are only three minutes for the most wow. part. Yeah. It used to be five to seven. We have a couple of those still, but it's mostly like three minute mics, right? And so it's like if you want to go wait an hour and a half to do three minutes in front of a bunch of comedians that aren't paying attention, so be it. Or if you want to come support this brewery show that has 40 people at it that want to watch comedy, you're going to get a five minute set in front of a hot crowd. Right. So I don't, I don't ever market that for so many reasons, but that is always on the table here. That's really cool. I won't do that. (laughs) I just, because of the same reason you won't advertise it, because once I do that to other people, I will get comedians there not to support the show, but just to get that time. And they end up, in my experience, they tend to end up being the distractions in the back of the room. Oh, dude, comics are you know? the the worst thing at comedy shows. They are the 100%. They're the most, it's the most self-sabotaging. I have to remind comics all the time not to talk in the showroom. Yep. And like, I've been called a Nazi about it. And I'm like, sure, like, I'm not killing anybody over this. But like, I'm fucking proud. If you're not proud that you're telling comics to shut up during the show, you're doing something wrong. Because well, I, I just think that they especially if they don't produce, if they haven't produced, they don't understand what they're doing to the next show. Because if you were talking in the back and now the back row is distracted, well, they paid 10, 15, $20 to see the show that you're ruining for them. Why would they come back now? That comedian, it ain't his problem because he's not going to be back anyway. And it's not his venue. So it doesn't matter. But to you, even the producer, it's like, well, you're taking money away from everybody I book and me. I'll book people a lot less if they're like consistently talking in the showroom. Yeah. It's not hard to step into the other room, but no. like a lot of the shows I produce are free to attend. Yeah. Right. It, it doesn't really matter if they paid for a ticket or not, but what happens is ultimately the comedians start talking in the back and then that back row hears them talking and then they think it's okay to talk. Right. And then the next row starts talking and it's just a botcherous beyond that. Like, it's so disrespectful to the comic on stage. Like, even if you don't like the person, give them the opportunity. Cause what we do is fucking nuts, right? Like we're doing this crazy thing. And if you can't just respect the comic on stage for three minutes at a time, right. I don't want you near the show. Yeah. There was a point where I've been producing for six years, really. And it ended up being a business. I would say in 2019, the start of 2019 mm-hmm. and just from doing this podcast, I've realized that everybody in the comedy world has started making progress in 19 or 20, just when everything took a shit. So yeah. it makes, it makes yeah. sense that that 19. But I had somebody get a hold of me and, you know, she was wondering why I wasn't booking her. And I said, well, are you going to open mics? And she said, yeah. I said, well, I talked to the open mic hosts in your town and they said they haven't seen you in months. And she said, oh, now you're checking up on me? You're babysitting me? I said, no, I'm babysitting my business. Because the Mm -hmm. minute I asked the bars, because I do a lot of free shows too, but the minute I asked for budgets from bars, it became a big deal that like I bring rehearsed comedians in because they're paying for the product. It's not like we're going to an open mic where it doesn't matter or we're doing a free show for no money. Like it became serious. And it made me have to 
rethink how I do things, how I book, just because I want people to take that aspect seriously. And a lot of them do, yeah. a lot of them don't, but like, at least I have a, a better filtration system. So like, no, I, I don't need that noise. You know, the person who really just wants to get drunk and be the center of the tension. I don't need that person on the show anymore. Right. Well, and and I, there's also with that, there's this concept of like gatekeepers, right? Yeah. And everybody's like, well, the gatekeepers aren't letting me do what I want to do. And then other people will be like, well, gatekeepers don't exist. And it's like, what do they do? But they only, I can only gatekeep rotating tap. Yeah. You can only gatekeep your production company, right? Exactly. So yep. you are a gatekeeper, but you're not the end all be all. No. People are just like, yeah, they're just like, well, the powers that be won't let me do it. And it's like, well, there's other avenues. Like, you don't have to do this through me, but I have expectations because if you if you go up there and you eat shit bad enough, then this show doesn't exist anymore. And I got to protect my show. I'm not yeah. just going to let every stranger into my house. There's a gate for a reason, right? Like, <laughs> No, I, I have a banner, a homebrewed comedy banner that I put up behind the comedians on the shows. Now, I, I host an open mic. It has nothing to do with my company because anybody can go to the open mic and say whatever the fuck they want. But if I have the banner behind you, that's affiliated with my business. And right. so I, I will look at new comedians or old comedians, whatever. And I'm like, well, I don't like that racist joke. And as much as I want to give that person an opportunity, I have to think, do I want a video clip of somebody telling a racist joke with my company banner behind it? That yeah. right now well, what if is too big a risk. What if it's, what if it's Roseanne though? What if it's Roseanne? If it's Roseanne listen, that's fine. If, as long as she you signs know it's my, gonna be racist. As long as she signs my box set of Roseanne, I'm good with it. <laughs> and there are exceptions. <laughs> but yeah. no, I just I, I look at that and I'm like, because there, there are people around my area, like you know, hour and a half radius, where I'm like, oh, you're new, you're putting in the work. I want to reward these people. But it's like also, I don't know if I want to be associated with you right now. Six months, right. probably. But like you know, because new comedians have to work out that edgelord, racist, whatever. You're you're walking on a tightrope that you shouldn't be walking on right now. They outgrow that and they become better. But it's like, yeah, it's a fight for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Most of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to have a banner on stage, too, and I just got tired of carrying it around. <laughs> but it's it's a similar thing where it's like, yeah, I also don't like need any terrible people like representing my business on an Instagram reel. What made you start doing comedy? Like, when did you think, okay, this might be the avenue for me? Uh, I always wanted to. And then once I graduated college and had the time to, I decided to actually pursue it. But my parents were very adamant about me getting a degree. Right. And I might be the only person I know that has an English degree that actually uses it. So, <laughs> Where'd you go to school? Uh, I graduated from the University of Colorado, Denver, but I hopped okay. around a little bit. I went to CU Boulder for a while and uh, a local commuter college called Metro State here Your in Denver. Parents, teachers or something? No, they just wanted they wanted me to make a lot of money, which doesn't happen in comedy. So, did, you know, I mean, with the English, I don't want to pry too much, but with that English degree, did it set you up for a job that was going to give you a lot of money? Because I think English no. degree, I just think okay. teacher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's all it is, right? But I didn't I mean like I I got better at writing and that helps me write jokes, right. right? You know, like 
in that sense, I actually do use my degree where very few people do. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, well, I can always be a teacher. And then uh, I've always kept it realistic too, where it's like, you know, if I'm not at this level three years in, if I'm not at this level seven years in and not this level 10 years in, maybe it's time for me to like look at other options and have a backup plan and become an English teacher. But uh, <laughs> luckily that hasn't been the case. I haven't had to look back too much. So well, I graduated with a broadcast and, and journalism degree and I used my journalism degree for like 10 years and it was fine. I mean, I had fun. I won a couple of writing awards. You know, it was fine. I, I paid rent, but that's pretty much all I paid. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. lucrative, but like, I think back and like, Oh, like there was a chart in my academic advisors uh, on her door. And it's a, the, here are all the jobs you can get with a communication degree. And it was all of them, every fucking job. If you had a community, I mean, you just found a way to make sure that worked in its way. And then now I started the podcast and I'm like, Oh, that's the broadcasting element. I'm talking to you. That's the journalism element. Like, yeah, that's yeah. what I, I make no money on the podcast. And that's yeah. what my degree is making. It's making me no money, but I did have public speaking at school and I do that with stand up. I yeah. did shit and any, I could have taken a business course. didn't do anything. So like, like the stuff that actually would have helped me, I didn't do, but yeah, I could talk. I, I was almost a business major for a minute and I hated it. And then it turns out that now, now business degrees yeah. aren't worth shit anyways. It might as well be an English degree. So. <laughs> All right. So when did you say, okay, I want to do stand up? I wanted to throughout like middle school and high school, but you know, you can't really get stage time until you're 21 unless your parents are yeah. really cool with it. Mine were not. <laughs> so I finally got my degree and I'm out four months after five months after I graduated, I decided to give it a shot and uh, the first two months I did stand up, I was blackout drunk every time right? because I was terrified of public speaking. But yeah, I mean, it was like I, I, I talk about it in my stand up, too. But I remember telling like my junior year English teacher that I want to be a comedian. And she was like, that's not realistic. Go to college. Right. And here I am. And I'm like, you stupid bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> you lied to me. You were wrong. But also, like, I think there's a lot of comedians that have like some resentment or pettiness towards people saying they can't do it. That just motivates them. Right. Like, Oh yeah. Also when I started stand up about after about four or five months, my girlfriend at the time was like, this is so dumb. This is a waste of your time. You're never going to accomplish anything doing this. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to write, start writing jokes about you and oh, you're going to hate them. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, and that was like one of the final straws. I was like, yeah, this isn't working out for us, right? Yeah. And I have no idea where she is or what she's doing these days. But I hope every once in a while she looks me up and sees that I'm doing pretty well. Is that still a motivating factor for you? Uh, Not anymore. It yeah. was. I mean, it was like certain things that like, I guess if I can get on TV, then it would be. And it's like, it's just like a nice little like, hey, remember this? Like, yeah, I accomplished this goal. But it's like, for the most part. I've accomplished enough of the goals I set out for already that it's like, all right, we can let this go. I remember being in college and my girlfriend at the time, uh, well, we, we dated and then we were good friends after we broke up. So I don't know if, I think she said this while we dated as well, but we would play rummy. She's a lesbian, by the way. So, you know, we were hanging out in my bed and, and we played cards because what else are we going to do? You know? So right. I would tell her jokes and just like, like we were listening to Mitch Hedberg and I try to make him a, nothing like formal, just like little asides. And I'd try to make her laugh. And, 
And she would look at me with like cold, dead eyes and say, Mike, you're not a stand-up comedian and I am not your audience. So shut the fuck up. And it was so funny, but like I yeah. started doing stand-up and I always thought back to that scene in my dorm room. And I love it. So like, if I ever do an album, I just want it to be, I am a stand-up comedian and you are my audience because like that yeah. means something to only me and maybe her, but you know, I'm sure she's forgotten right. that whole interaction existed because she's a well-balanced, normal person. And I hold on to <laughs> everything for yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. She's not going to therapy and talking about it. No, she's got a family and she's happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But oh, I mean, I, I, yeah. it can be a motivating factor sometimes for sure. People that tell you you're insane. And I'm like, okay, watch. Right. Yeah. You know, 11 years ago, what were your goals? I wanted to, I would, when I started comedy, I would go to the, like, like comedy works in Denver has like a curated open mic. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get onto the list. I just wanted to be on that list where it was like, I got to go up in like the headliner portion of the show. Right. Instead of like one headliner, they have like six or seven doing short sets. It's like, I want one of those five minute sets at this club. That's what I want to work towards, right? But then you start getting close to that, and you're like, "Well, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. I need a I need a ten minute closing set." And I was like, "Well, that's not enough. I need to headline the club, right?" It's like get past with the club, and then like Comedy Works has two levels of being passed. And after that, it was like, okay, so I got past the first time. I was like, okay, well now I got to get past to the second level. And then just like the next step is always there, right? And so the goals change, and it's like it, you have to rewrite goals all the time. Yeah. But when I started, it was to get a five minute set at Comedy Works. And you got that, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Third, I'm headlining there now. So uh, <laughs> you not, did okay. Yeah. Not a lot to uh, work towards at the club. Right. But it's like, okay, like there's other things. It's like, how do I get a late night spot? How do I get yeah. to open for somebody in a big theater? Like, what, what are the next steps? I wonder sometimes, like, a lot of people say, oh, late night sets, they don't matter as much as they used to. But I wonder at what point is there just not going to be a late night set to chase? You know, like my goal was Conan and Conan's gone for at least yeah. this iteration. And I know yes. Col- Colbert has standups, but I know he's not at the tapings because from what I've heard, he doesn't like it. So it's like, OK, Can are they going to phase stuff? No, no. I've been around enough comedians yeah. where, oh, I don't need to be around this guy. But no, I, I wonder, like, you know, if our goals are going to be maybe not ours or yours, whatever, but like the newer comedians are going to have to kind of reshape them. Like, Oh yeah. We're not even going to think about late night because who cares? We have TikTok, Right. No, I mean, it's yeah, it's TikTok, and that's all dying. And now there's like, you know, there's like don't tell and dry bar and other like sets to work towards that can go viral. Um, Like even, you know, with Corden being gone now it's after midnight. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, I don't think the reason why you want credits isn't for, I don't think anybody wants credits to tell audience members, look at my credits. It's to tell clubs, hey, book me because yeah. this might be a draw, right? Yep. And so it's like, yeah, you might be on After Midnight, even though you're not technically doing stand-up, but it's a credit and you can say I've been on this show and then a club will be like, oh, okay, cool. Like, we can market that. Or I have a Don't Tell special or a Dry Bar special. So, yeah, late night might not be a thing, but there will still be those goals that people are trying to chase because it's all about selling tickets right and so whatever you can save to help sell tickets is what the point is right yeah when did you start rotating tap so i started i started one brewery show nine years ago okay and then 
I had, you know, I had some good day jobs and I had a, I was working at a, uh, like a hipster Chipotle here in Denver. It's called a a legal. Oh, oh, okay. So it's a different Chipotle. I was like, (laughs) the franchises have different designations. Like, no, this is, this is the hipster Chipotle. Here's the more urban Chipotle. It's yeah, no, it's the, it's the same thing. It's just like, okay. Oh, Hey, we have, we can put green chili on your burrito too. Gotcha. gotcha. Right. And I was like working towards a corporate position there. And I believed fully that I had earned it and had the numbers to back it up. And then they were just like, Oh, Hey, like we're going to go with our friend. And I was like, okay, well then this isn't what I need to be doing. So I decided to step down and I had had the idea for rotating tap years before that. But when I stepped down, that's when I had the time to actually execute. So, yeah, so the the first brewery show started in 2013, but Rotating Tap started in 2019. And that's when I expanded and started building with other working with other breweries, too. And then I and then I absorbed the first brewery. It's called Chain Reaction. I absorbed Chain Reaction into Rotating Tap. So it was all just one umbrella. Why did you make it Rotating Tap? I mean, I, I get the name. Because you're going brewery to brewery, but yep. why combine all of them under one name? I think it's easier marketing. Yeah, right. And you know, it's 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 easier to sell to everybody. It's easier to sell to the breweries. It's easier to sell to the people. Uh, it's easier to sell to the comics. Um, but like the, the thing is too, like now I've noticed so many comics since since rotating tab, and there's other ones too. But like. As the brand has taken off, now every comic has their own production brand, right? Yep. Like, there's a ton locally where it's just like, it's kind of like two entities where it's like, you as a stand-up is one, but then you also have the product, excuse me, the production side. And I see all these productions companies starting up right now buy a comic and it's run by one or two comics, but there's zero identity to it, right? Like, rotating tap makes sense because it's beer-focused, right? That is the identity of it. It's a comedy production company, but it has one avenue of focus. And I think that's why it's more successful than a lot of them, because it's just like, I'm just going to start a production company and call it Steve's Shows Incorporated. Yeah. And it's like, well, nobody gives a shit about that. Like, I, I knew I needed a catchy name and some branding. And so that's what I came up with. Yeah. For me, I was doing, I would say from like 17 to 19, I was doing basically comedy night at the and then fill in the blank and it was yeah it was mostly because of lack of creativity and okay well this is a poster whatever and it just was easiest that way and there were two shows i was doing where or at two venues well i'm sorry it was one venue at one point it was galaxy brewing company in binghamton and i had laughs and drafts which you know a lot of people had that and then yeah i did two shows there one was homebrewed comedy and the other was laughs and drafts and a venue, Buried Acorn, I'm still working with them, in Syracuse. They're like, hey, can we have homebrewed comedy up here? And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense if I did that at breweries. And then I was like, okay, well, and I had some, okay, if it wasn't a brewery, it wasn't homebrewed, it was comedy night at the, and then the pandemic came around. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I might as well just go all in with homebrewed comedy because it's marketable and it's yeah. easier than thinking of some stupid name, you know, that, you know, somebody might have trademarked it before or it's so easy comedy at the whatever homebrew comedy at whatever. And it's just there. And yeah, yeah. And then I so realized that and I got a banner behind me and now the pictures are good because, you know, I don't have barrels, you know, and cans 
in the background. So I've gotten much like so much more business just because of the two fucking words that it's like, yeah. oh, that was the right call because it's all about marketability. Well, and I get a lot of like because chain reaction, guess you'll never guess what it was called originally. It was called a comedy night at chain reaction Brew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just easy. But since it's developed into rotating tap, I now have breweries approach me, right? Like it's more marketable to the brewery itself. And so uh, they're like, hey, we want you to, we've been thinking about doing a comedy show. Your brand seems perfect for what we're looking for. Right. And so it's like, oh, cool. I don't have to just come up with another like random name when it's all under one umbrella. People are like, oh, this is so much easier. And like the, the idea of it too is to get people that are craft beer enthusiasts, right? To get them to some breweries that maybe they haven't been to before. Yeah. And get them to come to multiple shows and try different beers and enjoy that industry and our industry at the same time. Comedy and beer are the same industry, man. This I had a I had a podcast with Rotating Tap for a while where we'd interview brewers and owners and stuff. It's the same thing. Everybody's trying to make it. We're all in competition, but we love collaboration. Yeah. And so when you know when it was uh, easy to just have one avenue for them to look towards, that really helped take it off. Well, have you noticed this too? And I'm sure you have, but I'm in at a few breweries here and the breweries work so closely with each other, you know, like collaborations or even like, oh, that's a new brewery. Let's as a team go on Saturday afternoon and sample their beers. And then that, that brewery will come up there and do it for them. Well, what's happened for me is I've gotten venues because of that, because, oh, we know that Forge Brewing Company you do comedy there. Well, we're really good friends. So why don't you bring yours to Waterman's and Waterman's is really good friends with new leaf. So like I've gotten those venues because, Oh yeah. yeah. Well, we know you work with them. They say you're cool. Come on, do it for us. And I'm like, those are some of my best shows because like they're all in and they yeah. wanted, they're competitive with their friends. It's like, Oh, we want to yeah. have a better show here. So it's like, it benefits everybody. Yeah. It's dude. It literally, it's the same industry. Everything, the, almost anything that you can think of in comedy, I could give you a parallel for in the beer industry, except the only thing is the only major difference is it's a lot easier to sell beer to go than it is comedy to go. <laughs> yes. Like you can put a four pack in somebody's hand and they're going to be like, hell yeah, I'll take it. But putting a CD in somebody's hand, isn't going to be as big. I don't have a, to- I don't have a CD player in my car. So I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Or a digital download card or whatever. Most of that just ends up, yeah. So, but I mean, they are the same exact industry. And it's a lot of cool people in both that love collaborating for the better good of all of it. What do you like most about being on stage? I mean, you get the last and that's great, but like, is there one attention where you're like, is that it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, I like, I like hearing laughs. Like that's the, that's the reason I like making people laugh. And that's like the biggest reason I got into comedy. I think it's insane that I can make a career out of it because it's something I don't tell the industry this, Yeah, but I would do it for free. Right. But it's one of those things. It's just like, I don't know. I love helping people forget about their bullshit for a little bit. Yeah. There's something for me about like, like I was a writer and something about creating like a new idea and going on stage and having that work. And it resonates with people. They can relate to it. They think it's funny. And 
it hurts sometimes when like like I go a day where oh there's no show there's no mic and I had this idea but like like last night I had a great night with my girlfriend we went to see a broad musical in Binghamton we went to dinner but there was an open mic and I missed that and like I wouldn't have minded missing it so much if I didn't write a joke I really liked on Monday and it did well at the mic yeah. and I wanted to try it one more time now I'll have three shows this week to try it and see if it yep. actually works in front of, so I'm not missing much, but it's like, that's the part of comedy where it's like that idea and like, Oh, it's a fresh idea. These guys like it. I don't suck all the time. Like I, I will yeah. forever chase that feeling. It's very addicting. It's very addicting. I just like making people forget about their bullshit and have a good time. It's so freeing. Yeah. When yeah. You- it sucks when people take something out of context and get really upset about it. And it's like, no, this is just for fun. Trust me. Like, I'm not trying to piss people off. Yeah. It's the last thing I'm trying to do here. (laughs) I had a joke a long time ago where I just, it was school shootings happened, mass shootings, whatever. And I had a joke where I was was trying to fight for the the legalization of hunting at Walmart. Where like, you just, you you kill one person at Walmart. That's fine. Whatever. And somebody took it to mean, oh, you know what I did? I compared the, (laughs) I was like, one of the rules was you can't shoot people who work at Walmart. Because their lives are bad enough. They have to deal with us. And yeah. I'm like, I'm like, if you ever seen a janitor at Walmart push a mop to the bathroom, you should take off your hat and salute that guy. And somebody yeah. was like, like, that's anti-army, like anti-troops to compare. And I'm like, oh my God, you're really gonna take that? <laughs> it's like you were yeah. just looking for something to get mad. Like, I, I don't know how to how to help you with this. I get asked often if uh, if comedy is harder because everybody's so offended all the time. And turns out that those people that ask the questions like that are the most easily offended. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, that's why you have like I'm not the conservatives. To... We have you have conservatives banning books. And it's like okay, like you ban a hundred books. Why? Like, but yeah. you're you're arguing for more freedom too. So it's like okay, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Freedom of speech, not freedom of text, right? Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. When you grew up, were you the funny kid around or like in your friend group? Yeah. Were you, were you always I was. Okay. Yeah. And it, it is like an attention craving thing. But it was, that's another thing is like enough people in college told me that I should be a comedian that I started to believe them. Okay. And so, yeah, if people are listening to this and they're mad about it, blame my college friends and not me. <laughs> Who'd you grow up listening to? Oh, man, I grew up, you know, Hedberg, uh, Stephen Wright, a lot of like one liners and Lewis Black, dude. I wish I when I started comedy, I so badly wanted to be the angry, yelling, ranty guy. Yeah. And uh, I can't do it at all. I can't do it. I love it. Lewis Black has always been one of my favorite comedians. I love Kathleen Madigan. Um, So it's like one liners and angry long rants. (laughs) Carly and obviously like I'm I'm waiting for Lewis Black to have a heart attack on stage and that's how he dies. Any day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean he's he, I think he's gonna get get a retire soon. Yeah. But then Ron White retired and he's already back out a year later. So yeah. um, didn't didn't Lewis Black announce his last tour? Yeah, I think he's just starting it like right now. Yeah. It's, it's coming to Colorado. It's coming to Boulder, but you know. Yeah, he's my dad's favorite comedian. And I was like, Dad, you have a son who's a comedian. And he goes, yeah. I know. He's like, I know. I I, I like Lewis Black. <laughs> I mean, I, li- I like you too, but Lewis Black is so good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, 
No, it it always surprised me because my dad was not political until Trump took office. And then I don't know how we found Lewis Black. I really don't because he's not a Daily Show guy. And it, it must have just been one of his HBO specials. But yeah. Lewis Black came to Binghamton and my dad asked about going. And I'm like, I've never I never would have pegged my dad to be a guy who's into live comedy. And now he's 75. and He goes, yeah, I saw this comedian. I saw these reels, these reels on Facebook. And I'm like, how do you, who told you about a reel? Like, it's just, yeah. weird. But, but now he's like, do you know Taylor Tomlinson? I'm like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why do you know about her? Uh, speaking of the daily show, did you hear uh, about Jon Stewart going back on? No, he's not really. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. He's taking over Mondays on the daily show for you're, the rest like, of the year. You're kidding me. No, I'm dead serious. I'm so excited about oh it. Oh my God. There are two people I missed most about Trump's presidency. Carlin died. And I thought he could have had a field day. I mean, you know, everything he did, he wrote, wrote 30, 40 years ago came true or is still true. And Jon Stewart retired right before Trump was elected. And I thought yeah. we just and we, were, we were robbed. I would throw Rage Against the Machine in that same boat, too, where it's yes. like you guys really could have said stuff. You would have been perfect at this time. But they would have had to um, a band, though, for like another 15, 20 years to get there. And I don't know if they could have done it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, John Stewart's going to come back for Monday nights. And I'm like, that's oh, incredible. Be great for the it's like Trump run. I watched the daily show with Trevor Noah's there. I, I think I had a DVR and until I got Hulu live, I would watch everything on the DVR. I'd clear it. It was like a, you know, like you're listening to podcasts. Like I don't want to have it build up. So I'll make sure I watch that and I'll fast through the commercials. It's great. Then I got Hulu live. I stopped watching it and I, I don't think I've watched the daily show in maybe three or four years, but with him back, I'm going to have to watch his episodes like that yeah. night because he's well, you know what I, important. You know what I think it is, too? And I think this relates to why I like like angry ranting comedy. But I think the reason why Trevor Noah couldn't hold up to Jon Stewart is because Jon Stewart was so passionate about it. And Trevor Noah was just kind of like, yeah, like I'm not even from here. Like yeah. this is I'll talk about this, but like I don't have any like any fish in the bowl here. Where like John Stewart is like, no, like this is so important to me. And he's even after he left the Daily Show, he's continued to show how important certain things are and like work towards that, you know, with like the first responders yep. and all of the vet stuff that he's done. But like I, I think Comedy Central really lost a lot because Trevor Noah just wasn't passionate like John Stewart was. I like Trevor Noah as a host. I think his best parts, I thought he his interviews were good. But I thought his best parts were like kind of like the interstitial stuff, like where he just, you know, in the commercial break, he he opened up a little bit and he personalized it. But like, I didn't think that resonated with I think he made the news too jokey, whereas Jon Stewart had more sarcasm in there and it was yeah. a little more dry. And I got I mean, how old do you know? I'm 35. Yeah, I'm 40. So like our generation, not to make you feel older, but. Our generation, I think we got probably too much news from The Daily Show. Like, that was our only source, mine at least. Yeah. It was my, it was my only source of news, but I got it every day. I wasn't going to watch 60 Minutes or the nightly news, but I was absolutely going to watch Jon Stewart. I never felt like I had to watch Trevor Noah, but I, I couldn't miss Jon yes. Stewart. Yeah, same. Yep. Now, when, when you're on stage, how much do you get into political stuff? Often, or is that something you kind of try to hide or stay away from? No, not often. I love it when I get to do it. And 
the thing also being in Colorado, Colorado is a very purple area, right? Yeah. right? The thing is, people, I, I love, one of my favorite things to do is bring up the idea of talking about politics. Be like, okay, like, this is a weird thing. And I know we're all, we're all uncomfortable when a comedian talks about politics, but I'm an American. And then I just talk about something completely separate, right? It has nothing <laughs> politics to Yeah, It just makes people like tighten up and then you just kind of break that barrier. And it's like, oh, this, this has nothing to do with politics at all. Uh, I love doing that, but I do love talking about politics, but any politics I talk about, I'm not, I've seen so many comedians try and prove a point with politics. And it's like, I'm not trying to do that. Yeah. Like if I'm making fun of one side, I'm making fun of the other side too. I love doing that. I have, I have probably 10 minutes of political material, but it's mostly about like the way politicians treat our generation. And then it's like right versus left and how we're both right and both wrong all the time. So does it, does it go over well? I mean, do you have to pick your spots for that? Got to pick the spots. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Certain spots. Like I have one bit where I, I basically compare AOC to Lauren Boebert. Okay. And if I make fun of AOC a lot, like people are all on board. Everybody loves it. Right. Uh, but then the second I say one bad thing about Bobert, people will tighten up and be like, I'm like, well, then you're fucking stupid, too. Like, you know, if you if you look at like politics right now where it's like both sides don't like Biden, nobody likes Joe Biden. Right. right. And that's, I think, pretty well understood throughout the country. It's like nobody, even the left doesn't really like Biden. But then if you say one thing about Trump. You could say you could talk shit about Biden and crush for 10 minutes. And then you say one thing about Trump and it's like half of the room's done. They're like, yes. no, fuck this. Yep. And it's like, that's not that's not what this is supposed to be. Like, you can't just jab at the other side. You got to be able to take it, too. Yeah, I host a lot of the shows I do. So I try not to do politics. And if I do them, I mean, I had a joke that worked a while ago and, you know, it was like, like, oh, somebody asked me after the show, like, like, are you, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Are you a Republican or a Democrat? And I said, I am whatever it takes to get my car fixed that afternoon. Like, like I'll change to depend on if my mechanic, you know, whatever is going to give me a lower bill. It doesn't matter. I don't really yeah. care. And the joke I did, it was a long time ago, so I can't remember it exactly. But like, I was like, yeah, I, my mechanic had a Trump sticker and a Trump bobblehead and a sign that says, I hope your aborted babies go to hell, whatever. But I got my oil changed for $28. So I'm good. Like I have no, yeah. no moral. I don't give a fuck. Whatever I'm, whatever gets me out of that right. conversation quicker. I don't care. But like, yeah, that's what it is. Like, like, yeah, it's gotta be. I did some shows with a comic last week that like, she's pro choice. Right. And you know, she brings, she brings that up quickly. First yeah. four minutes of her set. And someone storms out making a scene, flipping her off, saying, you're not funny, you dumb bitch. And it's like, yeah, I'm not trying to, like, do that either. I'm just trying to have everybody have a good time. And if we're the, the other thing, though, is like as comedians, if we're not allowed to talk about politics, then the country's heading the wrong direction. Like, right. this is something that we've been doing for ages. Right. And I'm like, look at uh, Zelensky. Right. Like he was a comedian first. And you look at our senators who were comedians first. And it's like. It's like you, you got to really understand what this means to be an American and have an idea of like multiple sides. And the second people quit listening to the other side, it's fucking over. So I don't do it most time, but I do like I don't I especially don't do it hosting, but I do like talking about politics. Yeah. 
What is it that people like about Bobert? Well, anymore, nothing. Okay, okay. Colorado given up on her, okay. right? I think it was that she was like a hot, crazy woman, and like dudes were just. And she was like, okay, so she had she had a restaurant in Rifle, Colorado, called Shooters, where all of the servers carry like open carried. Oh my god! Yeah, like that was where she started, and people loved that so much that she decided to start getting into politics, right? But since she's pissed off enough Republicans too that like she's not get she barely won her last election, right? She won it by less than a hundred votes, but. There was the uh, the hand job scandal at Beetlejuice yep. here in town, and another thing that came out of that, like the guy that she was tugging on, he is a progressive bar owner in Aspen that puts on drag shows, right? Which and, completely goes and, against everything she's about. Yeah, and I think that I might be in the minority of this, but I'm sure that there's some uh, pretty conservative people that agree with me. She made a very big deal about taking her gun in to the Senate chambers. Yeah. Dumb. But then during the insurrection, when she was there, she wasn't using her gun to protect the property. Right. right? Like she wasn't protecting anybody. She wasn't protecting herself. She wasn't protecting this country. And so I think a lot of people are like, well, why did you need the gun if you weren't going to use it when it mattered? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people have given up on her. But she's like an attractive, crazy bitch. And there's a lot of dudes that are into that. So (laughs) I just man, I, I there's a lot of people you know who i'm like why 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 do you continue to support these people but you know i guess it's us against them and we need the numbers and that plays into it it's like oh well if we want chaos then we have to vote for chaos candidates but yeah i have this dream where i'm like just remove everybody and start over and i don't, I don't care what side you are you're done and we're gonna find I, uh... 50 senators who actually care about making lives better yeah i mean yeah it's all about money and stuff yeah i worked with uh jp sears last year and i don't know if you know much about him he blew up on youtube making these like boulder hippie videos and when the pandemic came around he totally switched and became very i wouldn't say conservative much more libertarian right which is like kind of in between conservative and liberal depending on the topic. Right. And I did these shows and first of all, like libertarian crowds are so much fun. They truly are like now freedom of speech. You can say whatever you want. They, you might say something they don't want to hear, but they're like, no, you absolutely can't say that. And they're a lot rowdier. They're, they're there to have a good time. Like, uh, whereas like conservatives are just like, well, you know, I don't know if God would like me laughing at this. <laughs> so I'm just going to sit here and not do anything. Right. And then after one of the shows, I had some people come up to me and talk to me and they were very nice. And eventually they were like, after talking to these people for like 20 minutes, they were like, so do you support Trump? And I hesitated. I just quiet. And they were like, oh, we knew you were a bitch. We knew this guy was a yeah, little pussy, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hold up. I don't support any politicians. And then they were like, we fucking love this guy. He's the best. We knew it. And that's when I was like, all right, this is, that's all it is. It's like, I think more of us are, I think if we were more agreeing on the page of like, we don't really care about politicians, we could start over, but there's certain people in office that'll never let that happen. Like, cause you know, Mitch McConnell's got a chokehold on every little like last breath of everything he has. I just think it's so weird 
to just hold up a politician, like, like wear a president on your clothing. It's so strange. Yeah. Like I get, you know, a basketball Jersey or a football Jersey. Okay. You like the team. And, and I think it's great. I just, I'm never going to be that patriotic to like wear red, white, and blue clothing or put a flag on your truck. Yeah. No, no, I just, exactly. Like I just don't. And then you think about it. It's like, well, one of the most disrespectful things you could do is have a fraying flag. And it's like, well, okay. So you're going to put that in truck, but whatever. But no, I just like, I don't, maybe I'm jealous because I'm never going to care for anything as much as they will care for a presidential candidate. But I'm like, I just, no, I can't see it. Yeah. I don't know. And, I had like the thing is like I have I, I have one of those like Obama hope posters. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that artist and I have a collection of his. Yeah. And it's like I even feel weird like hanging that in my house, right? Because it's like like I liked Obama and I liked what he did, but also mm-hmm. like I don't give enough of a, a shot whatever. Like the guy didn't make my life any easier or harder, you know. It's like no, I just liked him on the Daily Show. I like that he went on yeah. these talk shows and was charismatic. And he was a good speaker. I couldn't tell you anything about his policies because at the time I had a full-time job where I was working 60, 70 hours a week trying to make ends meet. And I didn't read what Obama did. And part of that is because Obama, in my mind, wasn't in the news every single day because he wasn't saying some outlandish shit. So we could forget that Obama was the president once or twice a week, you know, like. But I think I think that's the same reason why people love Trump is because he says what's on everybody's mind. And right. it's like, uh, I don't think that he needs to be saying all of this, but like right. he does have to, he has to be in the news constantly. Right. Like that's why I don't like him. I'm like, if yeah. I could go, if I could go a week without remembering that he's the president, like that's the other thing, like Biden, I, you know, who gives a shit? The dude's like yeah. on his, he's asleep for a week. I don't have to hear about everything that he says. That was the biggest appeal. So, to me. Yeah. Like, no, I just want to get yeah, back to like, like thinking about the Mets. And like, I, I don't have to worry yeah. about World War Three. Yeah. Do you have a yep. do you have a story about a show like a bad show, like your worst show? Oh, man. So I went down to Alabama for the first time. Uh, we did it. We, it was me. It's Scott Eason, who's a very funny Tennessee comic. Right. Yep. And Derek Stroop, who, again, he's from Alabama, moved to Denver, has blown up. If you don't know Derek Stroop, he is so talented. He is also that angry, ranty, yelly comedy that I wish I could pull off, that I can't. But in the last, I mean, the last six months, he's been on the road with Kreischer. He's been on the road with Larry the Cable Guy. He's been on the road with Bargazzi. He got a Comedy Central special just announced last week. Uh, he just did Fallon like a month ago. Um, he did. He got JFL this year. Like, oh wow, he's really blowing up right now, right? And so. This was probably 2018. I went to the South with Stroop and Scott Eason and we had some runs and it was fine. Uh, we had a couple of shows get canceled. We find some other shows and I didn't get to do as long of sets as I want or whatever. But then the last night of the tour, we go back to uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Stroop's from like 15 to 20 minutes outside of there. And we're doing it. We have a brewery show and Stroop's like, well, I'll host Steve, you feature Scott, you close it out. And it's this brewery called the Salty Nut. And I hated that name. And then their <laughs> slogan for comedy, their slogan was uh, bust a gut at the Salty Nut. Oh, man. And I was like, I was like, this is so corny, but whatever. It'll be a good show. And Stroop starts off the show and really gets him into it. Stroop 
Yeah, he's crushing. He, they love him. And then he brings me up, and I don't think they gave me 20 seconds before the entire audience just started chatting with each other. Like, they weren't... I couldn't get them. I couldn't get... I couldn't even hold their attention. Like, it was like... They were like, this guy sucks. We hate him so much. Like, it was disrespectful where it's like... It was like I was in a cafeteria. It was almost like a nightmare. Where it was like, yeah. every everything was going fine. I tried to give my presentation on my homework... And the whole school was like, ah, we don't give a shit. Let's just fuck <laughs> around with each other. And they all just started talking. And I I think I was supposed to do 20 minutes and I did 12. I was like, and I hate that, dude. Like, like not finishing your time is so embarrassing. And it was just like, I was like, this is terrifying. There's no way the show's even gonna continue without me. Or like if and like, you know, the headliner, like now he has a hole to dig out of. So I just got off stage and I was like, I'm sorry. I just know this is bad. This is a nightmare. Everybody here hates me. I hate me. And then Scott went up there and they were right back into it. They loved that him sucks. so much. God, that's, a, that's yeah. awful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe it was my attitude. I don't think it was my material, but like some hipster kid from Denver, they were just not about. And they're, they would rather listen to the Southerners because they just, I don't even think that they wanted to relate to my material because they probably would have, but I think they didn't even want to try. Cause they're like, nah, this fucking mile high piece of shit. And, uh, yeah, I've, and that was the worst that I've ever had. And I've bombed plenty of times, but that one was like, that one still haunts me to this day where it's like, Oh, no, like I couldn't even do my time. Nobody was paying attention. It was just speaking into the void. There's a difference between like people paying attention and not laughing, but everybody's like quiet yeah. And this was like, people were like, this isn't even worth our, our time. Let's just like talk. Like I was like a house band and they're like, oh yeah, let's just go back to conversation. <laughs> that set, you've done that set before and after, right? I assume. Yeah. yeah. In, the, in the material's and fine. Material's fine. Yeah. I think it was just, they didn't want to listen to like a young hipster kid from Denver. And right away they were like, no, I want nothing to do with this at all. And then Scott went back up and it took him a minute or two to dig out, but he dug out and then everybody was fucking attentive and laughing after three minutes of him being up there. And I was like, Oh my God. And I had never been to Alabama. It's a lot more humid there than it is in Denver. It was summertime. It was August. And I'm literally like sweating bullets after five minutes because I'm bombing and it's hot and humid. And so they could just, it wasn't even just like smelling. I mean, like they could see how terrible I was doing. Like he, I could feel it, man. It was gross. It was real gross. What did Derek say? When you got stage, not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say a lot. And that's, uh, but like, it's also like, he didn't need to say anything. Like I knew, yeah. I knew he was obviously peeved that I didn't do my time, which was hundred percent understandable, but it was like the most embarrassing set I've ever had. And, uh, yeah, now he's blowing up and it's like, damn, man, I wish I had made a better impression on one show. And I'm sure he doesn't care. Or remember, I'm sure he remembers if you heard the story, but it was epic bomb, epic bomb on my part. Was that the first time you worked with him? No, no. We worked around Denver a bunch. It was the first, it was my first time in Alabama at all. Okay. Got it. And we had some, we had done some other shows and I did okay, but that one was horrendous. Total train wreck. And you know what? He probably knew it was going to happen, or at least like the curve for you is going to be a little harder because Maybe you don't have the Alabama accent that he has. Yeah. 
I mean, for sure. But like, there's dude, there's no excuse for like, it, it. it's something where it's like, yeah, this might be harder for Steve, but it was like, literally everybody quit paying attention and just started having conversations loud. And so it was like, this isn't just a curve. Like it was utter failure. I got, I still, even though, even though it was graded on a curve, I still got 2% on, on the test. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Have you gone back to Alabama since? For stand-up? I have not. I have not. I I would. I just uh, haven't. Yeah. It was a very eye-opening experience for me in a lot of ways, just like the Bible Belt and everything, uh, learning a lot about that. But it's like, hey, I'm not like talking about religion or politics on stage. I'm talking about like sports, and that still wasn't. Oh, they got they wanted nothing to do with it. Do you think there's anything you could have done differently aside from like grow up there that would have like prevented that from happening or was it just a matter of they didn't like an outsider um because you have nothing to test it against i think yeah i mean i think it was outsider combined with like i didn't try to fit in enough if i had tried to fit in i think it would have been different okay like you know i what you wear on stage has a the first that's the first thing people notice is what you're wearing on stage and if you're wearing some like flashy hipster clothes which i'm sure i was they're like no like we like guys that wear like fucking high pants and boots and right. tucked in shirt. Right. And so I, I think automatically they were against me just because I didn't look like them, which I don't know if you know much about the South, but historically it hasn't gone well for people that don't look like them down there. So <laughs> maybe that's the joke you should have opened with. Yeah. Well, I, they probably would have killed me too. So well, you, you might've had to explain it to some of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did a show in West Virginia and I was like, all right, well, maybe I open. I'd never done anything in West Virginia. And I was like, you know, I have a heroin joke. Maybe I open with that. And I ended up not. And then the headliner I was working with, he did. And it killed. And I'm like, fuck. And I was like, like I really it. thought. Yeah, and I was like, I really thought maybe it would work because it's a bar. I mean, it, it's late night. Maybe I mean, they're coming for the show. But I also didn't want to, like, fuck myself and the headliner by, like, really ruining it. Uh, so I just did my regular stuff and it did really well. And then he crushed with the heroin joke. And I'm like, I left that on the table and that bothered yeah, me. Yeah. You're too like, safe. Yeah. I was like, is it worth the risk? I don't know. You know, maybe if I was headlining, I would have given it a shot. I would have buried it maybe. And, you know, got them to like me first, but yeah, I was like, ah, I'll just live with that regret. Yep. Well, next time you're there. <laughs> I mean, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for doing this. Do you have anything? What are you working on? And what's coming up? I mean, I know you're promoting Rotated Tap. I mean, what's going on for you? What are your goals? I'll be traveling a lot this year. I'll be all over the country this year, uh, which I, I've traveled in the past, but this is going to be like a lot of a lot of traveling for comedy. So I'll be doing a Midwest run. I'll be doing a Pacific Northwest run. Um, I'll be in New York City for a while. Yeah, just my website, plugcomedy.com. I'll be around a bunch of cities. Yeah, or Rotating Tap, whatever. What constitutes for a while when you're in New York City? Coming up for a couple of weeks? Yeah, I believe so. I'll probably be like hopping back and forth between New Jersey and there. So, yeah, probably not probably not like the northern side of it or anything, <laughs> just the city. When you come up here and like I've had a lot of people, uh, like if you have open dates uh, and I can get you up here, that'd be great. But I've had people reach out and be like, hey, I'm going to be in New York City. Uh, do you have any spots? I'm like, yeah, but it's three hours away. And they're like, oh, never mind then. Like, yeah. just remember, remember, New York is a very big state. It is. Yep. Now, if I uh, if I had a vehicle up there, I probably yeah. would, but I don't think I'm going to have a car. So 
And the cool part about New York City and Jersey, you don't need one. It's like, right. you know, they've got public transportation. You've got buddies. Anybody, uh, you probably know this from Denver. It's like, uh, if you <laughs> if you, you want to make friends with a comedian, just ask them for, for a, a ride and say you get 10 minutes. And be like, oh, yeah, 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 you'll have 50 people offering to give you a ride. We literally got stuck in the mountains last week. And we were like, okay, let's just post on Facebook. And a bunch of people were like, we'll come get you. And then the the guy producing was like, well, I don't want to give this out to anybody. And so we couldn't <laughs> give it to anybody. And so we're like, let's just pay a friend to come up here and hang out for a day. So we ended up doing that instead. Did you make it to the show on time? Uh, we made it to the show on time. It was less about making it to the show and more about making it home. Oh, okay, gotcha. So but we did we did both. We made it happen. One thing I like about comedy is like, Comedians will do anything to get to that show. And like for me, like I don't even care so much about getting home. I just want to make it to the show so I don't fuck anybody over and I'll worry about getting home later. And I've had a yeah. breakdown and I've gotten, I mean, in the two or three period, I had to get rides home. Like my mom had to pick me up going to a show one time. Another comedian on the show had to pick me up because my car broke down another place. And coming home two or three times had to like basically hitchhike home. With comedians, yeah, thankfully. But it's like, it doesn't matter because I had the equipment, we got to the show, and then it, it doesn't matter what happens after. I'll figure it out. But I just need to get to the show. Yeah, we we were already up there, so we knew that we were going to make the show. But we're like, how the fuck do we get out of here when we're done? Because <laughs> it's expensive to like pay for hotel rooms in fucking mountain towns, dude. Those resorts yeah. are so pricey, and it's like, we just want to get out of here. So, yeah. But a lot of comics are willing to come do 10 minutes to drive to the mountains in a snowstorm and come do 10 minutes. So whores. Yeah. We are whores. We don't properly value our time. Gluttons for punishment, for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, dude, again, thank you so much for this. And it was really good getting to know you. And yeah, you know, thanks for having good, me. Yeah, of course. Good luck uh, on all the touring and uh, uh, in New York, especially. Uh, try not to uh, spend too much time in Jersey. Heard it's not good. I will try. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you in a bit. Have a good one. Wings off inside. Some peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.